On the last episode of today's lesson, a Nick Cave podcast. Run, run! Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me the firstborn is alive? Okay, so go over it again. What do the keys represent? This is it. The recipe for Blix's squid ink risotto. No, 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 no! <laughs> Give me that. But why? Stop it, he's already dead! My recipe for squid ink risotto is missing. Now for the thrilling conclusion. to another episode of today's lesson a nick cave podcast i'm andrew and i'm sean and today we're going to be talking with you about another song from your funeral my trial it's called jack's shadow sean how you doing (laughs) you know i'm doing pretty fantastically today how are you andrew you know i'm hanging in there uh we got some good rain uh last week everything's Mm. feeling a little bit fresher a little bit Mm -hmm. greener uh and i'm just i'm glad to be sitting down with you to talk about some uh nick cave songs lyrics and music and songs it sounds like we're on the same page yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh-huh 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 jack's shadow this is the the fifth song, the first kind of uh, glimpse at this second EP, sort of taking it as uh, the original release intended, but essentially track five, written by Nick Cave and Mick Harvey. And, uh, you know, I really think that the complexity of the music, the amount that's going on, while there's still a lot of structure, really... You know, it makes a lot of sense that Harvey was so involved here. Yeah, it's a, it's a distinct departure from the last track, especially, but um, really adds to the fullness and richness of the album as a whole. Uh, when I think of the album, it's a lot of this sort of noise versus the previous song. Like we said, that Stranger Than Kindness is really apart from the rest of the album, and it's nice to kind of come back to a more intricate, more fully developed uh musicality in on this track and as always thank you mick for that yeah no and and no shade towards uh stranger than kindness but it you're totally right it is an outlier and it's a little you know while it's while there's a lot going on it isn't um structurally as as intricate as a lot of the stuff we're seeing on this album uh kind of for the first time in a lot of cases in fact, I would say this is one of the more musically rich tracks they've done to this point overall. Um, you know, it can be cacophonous at times, but 
It also kind of has a, a driving rhythm um, that ebbs and flows. Um, there's a couple little breakdowns that sort of change the the flow and the mood of the song. And one of my favorite things about the song is there is a musical motif throughout. Um, this sort of four note descending uh, little phrase um, that we hear on piano and guitar. Yes. Different yeah. rhythms, different speeds, and that that feels like it's probably a Mick Harvey thing, but uh, I don't know. But it works. It creates a signature sound for the song. And, and like I said, thinking of this, it's it's really that motif that shines through those big thuds coming down on the piano. Uh, Nick usually loves little bits like that, usually makes them really, really stand out on the piano. And, and this song is a great example of that. That's yeah, that, that uh, down, 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 down. And just kind of yep. cute little phrase that, it just gets wedged in your head a little bit uh, when there's a billion other things going on. And a billion other things are really going on. What what all do we hear on this track? Because I can't I can identify most of it, but yeah, there's a lot of weird uh, weird stuff. So you know, you kind of start off with a bluesy guitar riff, um, something not too unfamiliar if you listen to "The Firstborn Is Dead," and you've got Mick. Playing bass, uh, that driving bass rhythm. You've got piano from Nick. Um, some weird bubbly kind of guitar noises that I believe are probably Blixa. And then some weird percussive scratches and noises as he's he's very fond of. And yeah, it starts with pretty sparse drumming, um, but it really picks up later. And, and this is uh, Thomas Wiedler for sure. Really just kind of uh, fast, heavy yet kind of soft, uh, might be playing with brushes, um, but very frenetic. Uh, just really keeps that driving nature of this song going. And so the, the title of this song references someone directly, which I don't know if we've seen up to this point. It happens a lot in uh, the Bad Seeds discography. We will have Henry's Dream and Lucy and all sorts of people. Um, but Jack's Shadow... Andrew, do you have any insight into who Jack might be? I do, and and as you and I have talked about, we're we're going to kind of look at this song in two different lights. Um, <laughs> get it? Lights. Um, <laughs> greater lights. But we we're going to look at the song just sort of as it is on the page, without um, you know, sort of referencing this uh, storied character. But yeah, Jack of Jack's shadow uh, is most likely, 100% likely, but uh, it is <laughs> it is him. Um, it's Jack Henry Abbott. He was an author that uh, basically contacted, uh, you know, famous author Norman Mailer to give him some more accurate info for a book that Mailer was writing about prison life. Mailer helped him to get parole and basically be released, um, you know, trying to help out this person that that kind of helped him sort of you know, create uh, some of his works. Um, and this Jack Henry Abbott had had a rough childhood, been in and out of foster care, juvenile detention. He led a nearly completely institutionalized life. Um, you know, he stabbed a fellow inmate, he escaped and robbed a bank, and then uh, 
you know, Mailer, after getting info from him, uh, as I said, helped him get out. He would uh, be released for, I think it was six weeks total before stabbing a waiter to death for not letting him use the bathroom. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I look, we're, we're a pro public restroom podcast, um, but, you know, capital B, but uh, different ways to handle that. Uh, talk to your congressman. <laughs> Eventually, Abbott was captured again and uh, ended up committing suicide in his prison cell. Mailer would go on to say that uh, it was a huge mistake. And uh, he caught a lot of shit for helping this guy get out. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, that's uh, <laughs> six weeks. Well, Norman, it's a little blood on your hands, I think. <laughs> Damn it, Norman. <laughs> you guy. I'm going to have to change my pornographic film handle. Mormon Nailer. <laughs> I can't do it anymore knowing he's a murderer. Uh, may I say a very specific <laughs> type of uh, film being conjured uh, from that name. Oh, yeah. No, it's a real niche thing. It worked out really well, but, you know. Yeah, but so that's sort of going to be a through line through this song. You know, clearly it was inspired by, by Abbott and his life and just the idea of being institutionalized i think uh whether it's for you know your whole life like with abbott or with um you know even just spending a lot of time on the inside and not really knowing you know where to go from there so that flavors this song we're gonna address it but we're also gonna talk about this song as its own uh beast so to speak and with that what do you say we dive right in uh i say let's dive ho straight down into the hole so the song begins uh with a direct reference to our characters boom right there in the thick of it uh with they dragged jack and his shadow from the hole and the bulb that burned above him did shine both day and night and his shadow learned to love his little darks and greater lights so again thrown right into this uh jack and his shadow both uh are introduced immediately being dragged from a hole and, you know, with that background of Jack Henry Abbott, we know that he was institutionalized, even without uh, that knowledge that, you know, this man that's based on was incarcerated. The hole is is common prison term that I think most people know as, as solitary. It seems that in the hole, he was probably living in darkness because we're immediately cast out into the light. And so the bulb that burned above him did shine both day and night almost feels to me like he's uh, being tortured and now that he's out of the hole, that he's now in a room where it's actually never dark and uh, it's, it's cruel in its own way. And so I think immediately the impression I get is that Nick is is somewhat critical of the way incarceration is handled. <laughs> I'm probably reaching a bit, but these first four lines uh, really give me that impression. Andrew, do you feel that? I do. do I agree with that. literally everything you said. I think that, you know, even without, like you said, the knowledge of, of Jack Henry Abbott, you uh, get the whole reference and the the phrasing, they dragged Jack in a shadow from the yep. hole. He doesn't have agency even when he's being freed, um, but it does conjure that uh, incarceration, if not, you know, strictly solitary confinement. 
uh, imagery. And then, yeah, the bulb that burned above him, shining both day and night, sounds like torture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, he's, this is probably in his head, right? Um, but the bulb, you know, burning, it's like a fluorescent light. It's just, it does feel like he is, um, yeah, just being let loose into this sort of harsh existence, this hell. Um, like the whole had offered some kind of routine or safety for him. Yeah, and and this this next line is Shadow learned to love his little darks and greater light. Now gives his shadow a little bit of of character and personality. Yes, not yet Jack, but um, in this light, I think what you said, you know, the light perhaps is not an actual light. Maybe it's just in his head. But uh, whatever his shadow is and represents is is actually learning something from this. And so I think it brings it more into that metaphorical realm of things being brought into the light. And, you know, perhaps solitary is a place where not a whole lot of thinking gets done. Again, going back to what I imagine at this point is Nick's, um, is Nick's distaste for our current system of incarceration. Uh, solitary confinement, I believe, has, has been shown to not really do a whole lot of anyone, anyone any favors and so this is this is far more punitive than it is rehabilitative um but now that he's out in the light at least at least part of him his shadow whatever that might be um is is learning to love itself is learning to love jack at the very least yeah i it's still some ambiguity there right with the shadow we're not really sure what the shadow's relation to jack is just yet but we do know that Jack has had no agency in this first verse, and yeah, something that is that is attached to him at least, you know, whether it's it's literally an alter ego, you know, whether it's you know something he's carrying with him, it has learned uh, something in being released, and the idea that you know you wouldn't see a shadow in the darkness. Maybe this is kind of the first time his shadow has had form. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually thinking on that, that it's his shadow learning these lessons in the light is actually stark imagery because, you know, he is the one who's being likely tormented. I, I can't imagine anyone enjoying the light burning above him both day and night. But, you know, the darkness that's that's created by that light is the thing that's actually learning to learning to love. And so, <laughs> I, I don't know, it is, it's, an, it's an ambiguous place to be right now. Um, I think we're going to have a little more light shined on the issue later, but, uh, no, right now I, I see a critique of our prison system and I see a man who is potentially now on the path to reformation. Absolutely. Uh, good reason for optimism. Um, if you haven't read the story of Jack Henry Abbott and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pretend I haven't. Yeah, let's, we're, we're. That's an important way to approach, uh, I think, any piece of work, regardless of whether it's an allusion uh, to something else. Absolutely. Let, we're going to put ourselves in the shoes of Norman Mailer for a moment and give this guy the benefit of the doubt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the chorus. And the sun it shined, and the sun it shined, and the sun it shined a little stronger. Um, normally, you know, kind of a positive sort of idea you know let the sun shine in but uh right. it's not not necessarily the case here 
No, not necessarily. When, you know, thinking about the sun, it's, it's shining stronger and perhaps is blinding to this man, but casting a very strong shadow, which further, you know, separates the man in the system with whatever that shadow again represents and is being cast. And the, the shadow is the one benefiting here, uh, perhaps more so than the man. Verse 2. Jack wept and kissed his shadow goodbye. Spat from their dirty dungeons into a fully different din. Shat from their institutions into a truly different din. Sean, what do you make of this verse? Well, I mean, here we go. This is... I, I now know Nick's opinion of our prison system. Um, you know, Jack is sad to to leave his shadow, and again, whatever that might represent, I'm not I'm not going to give any answers yet. Um, but the the act of being spat from the dirty dungeons, you know, the fact that it's a dirty dungeon is not a great thing. But the the spat and the shat into a fully and truly different din is, I believe, a, a very straightforward critique of the way prisons handle letting prisoners go it's it's usually without much of a helping hand um, and again focuses the prison experience on on punitive uh, measures rather than reformative measures and in the worst cases actually creates a cyclical customer relationship where recidivism is just you know incredibly high that they would throw you onto the world from prison a place that you went because of likely violent or, you know, unfortunately many times nonviolent, but, you know, illegal tendencies. Uh, prison being a place where illegal things happen all the time and things are often solved through violence, being thrown into a truly different din, being the outside world where things are handled differently. Uh, very few prisoners are equipped with the means to not find themselves back in prison. Uh, I think... I looked up some stats on this in Oregon, actually, after three years following uh, prisoners that were discharged in 2014, our recidivism rate was 57%. And so, you know, these people are just being shot out onto the street and uh, let out into the world without any real thought to their rehabilitation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's, that's, those are all really great points. And I, uh, you know, Abbott himself, you know, it would seem he, whether born with them or, or developed them through his rough childhood, but he, he definitely had some uh, mental issues as well. And, you know, you don't have to have those kind of issues to be a repeat criminal, but it certainly doesn't help to be, uh, yeah, penalized for certain behavior. And, and uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not conducive to healing these uh these ex-convicts uh ex-prisoners to just say well here sit here for a while make some good friends uh learn <laughs> potentially potentially learn something but likely you know don't get the help you need and then you're out and the world's you know if you've been in there a long time completely different yeah yeah and you know looking at it completely cynically but absolutely honestly is is it's a business and so it's in the business's best interest to keep people coming back and the way you do that is you don't equip them to not come back and so you have a you know a recurring customer base because the way people are treated in prison and the tools they're given are just severely lacking so it's unfortunate i'll take this sec to say that nick actually 
wrote and starred in or helped write and starred in um, a movie around this time actually also based on loosely based on the life of uh, Jack Henry Abbott called Ghosts of the Civil Dead. But in case you're interested in exploring the topic further, uh, the title of the movie is in reference to the idea that those in the prison system are actually dead uh, comparatively in the civil realm. They don't have rights. They don't can't vote. They can't do all these things. And so they're essentially the civil dead. Um, but around the same time, this was clearly on his mind. I haven't heard much about this from him since this, but uh, seemed to be a pretty big thing. So definitely check that out if you're if you're into Nick Cave or into uh, fighting against the corporatized prison system or just <laughs> learning about it, watching a movie. It's actually not fighting; you're just watching a movie. But um, but maybe you'll learn something. Continuing on verse two. Um, and his shadow soon became a wife and children plagued his latter life until one night he took a skinning knife and stole into the town and Jack tracked his shadow down. So with these first two lines and his shadow soon became a wife and children plagued his latter life, you have this imagery that sort of indicates, uh, you know, uh, domestic life, um, perhaps what you would see from someone who is well-adjusted, you have his shadow becoming a wife, but then you have children plaguing his latter life. So is this Jack and his shadow as the, the parents, or is it his shadow having dual sort of gender uh, identifiers? Little little confusing to me, these first two lines. Do you have any thoughts about those two? Yeah, the way I ended up reading it was... Um... Basically, he swapped his shadow for a wife. So whatever role that shadow played in his life in prison, uh, he just replaced it mm. with a wife. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when you think of the things that a wife could do that a shadow also does is, you know, constantly following him. Perhaps it is some voice of reason. You know, the shadow ended up learning to love him. And so he's he's found a woman who also can learn to love him. It, it takes the place of that um intimate relationship that he had with his shadow or at least a, a relationship that could look past his faults and and love him his uh lesser darks and greater lights yeah uh but that second line children plagued his latter life it shows that this is perhaps not ideal for him in that children shouldn't be plaguing you if you've had children they should be a joy <laughs> and you know something to celebrate but um it seems that he's done this, but he's unsatisfied with what he's done. Yeah, and the plaguing, children plaguing your latter life could be, you know, a very tongue-in-cheek thing. But I think knowing what we do about this character, it does seem a little more literal than it otherwise would be, yeah. Yeah, and actually, did Jack Henry Abbott have a wife? I don't know, I doubt it. Yeah, he had six weeks. <laughs> I don't I mean, think he could have many kids in six weeks. Well, and I like that children plaguing his latter life, but you know, if we want to take it the the Abbott route, we kind of uh, can assume his latter life was maybe the last week of that six week stay. Um, <laughs> he bunked up with a woman who had a bunch of kids, and he just said, "I can't do this. I need to go to the bathroom." <laughs> and they had met three hours prior. Um, <laughs> it all went downhill from there. Um, until one night he took a skinning knife and stole into the town and Jack tracked his shadow down. So while the shadow seems to have 
potentially moved on or gained some kind of insight or uh, place in the world, perhaps, or knowledge, Jack's kind of on a mission here, right? He is going back into town from wherever he is, and he is going to hunt um, this shadow, perhaps uh, representative of his his former life in the hole or his former life as a uh, convict, and uh, he is going to find him. Yeah, it's a it's a twisted take on finding oneself, and you know he <laughs> takes up a weapon, steals off into the night, and goes to locate himself, or at least you know what what he's done in the past that he's now traded uh, for a wife. And this is again pretty vague, but it might even be the an attempt to go find self love again. You know, to go find the thing that is him that learned to love him rather than trying to externalize that in a wife or, you know, the kids that clearly haven't satisfied him. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know specifically what to take from this, but there's, I mean, just the use of shadow is so vague. It's so, you know, it can mean so many things. It's very symbolic. Um, yeah. Well, let's, let's see what he does with his shadow, shall we? Now that he's tracked him down, uh, said the shadow to Jack Henry, what's wrong? And <laughs> Great so delivery from Nick, by the way, on the what's wrong. It's so good. It's wonderful. Um, and and just as an aside, I do this every once in a while, but oh, the delivery on this song really does sell it. Um, he plays this so well. It's so slick. It's so emotional, but it's still that kind of detached early nick that we're hearing in a lot of these songs um it's it's such a good storytelling tone i don't know how else to describe it but uh the voices he does and the the inflections and the emphasis that he places on certain phrases is uh some of my favorite on the album for sure yeah on on an album that is so good uh at at that kind of performance this is a standout for sure yeah um and so in response, Jack said, our home is not a hole. And Shadow, you're just a gallow that I hang my body from. Oh, Shadow, you're a shackle from which my time is never done. Then he peeled his shadow off in strips. He peeled his shadow off in strips. Then he kneeled his shadow on some steps and cried, what have I done? Oh, another great delivery. What have I done? Yes. Oh, yeah. You feel it. A lot to... Feel it in your bones. A lot to unpack here for sure. Um... You know, Jack is approaching the shadow in uh, perhaps whatever town, maybe at his newfound home, uh, his newfound life, uh, and tells him, you know, this, you know, if you want to read it this way, you know, essentially this home that you have now is not a hole. You know, it's like a variation on our home is not a home. Um, yeah. You know, this yeah. isn't this isn't the good place where I'm safe from the sun and, uh, you know, Again, taking it as Jack Henry, this isn't the place that keeps me from doing murders sometimes. Uh, not always, because <laughs> I do. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a rebuke of this newfound, um, you know, peaceful existence. Yeah, absolutely, and it's actually the the home uh, phrase I would imagine is is aware of. The other songs on this album and we just heard this uh in a very different way 
on the previous track where, you know, there is no home, there is no bread. Yes. Uh, being lamented by someone who is being intimate with someone else but uh, feels similarly um, unfulfilled by the act. And so this is kind of the opposite of that, right? Jack has a wife, Jack has kids, and Jack runs off to find the thing that he he loved so much, apparently, or misses enough to go find, um, and and laments the fact that his home isn't the hole that he came from. And so it's, again, the duality of man, man, <laughs> never going to be happy. And so this is, it's a funny line in context. Yeah, yeah, can comparatively uh with the subject matter yes i mean th- there is humor in this song for sure um as dark as it may be whereas yeah the last song you know some kind of similar concepts but really just not a whole lot to smile about in that one um but yeah going to the the next lines that we mentioned earlier uh you're just a gallows that i hang my body from or shackle from which my time is never done. You know, pretty self-explanatory, but it is said from the perspective of Jack. Um, so again, the un- unreliable narrator kind of deal. This this is someone who uh, has these thoughts and beliefs that maybe aren't necessarily hundred uh, percent accurate. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see Jack rebel against this thing that, you know, he seemed to truly miss before this, that he's, you know, now berating this thing that learned to love him and that he wept and kissed goodbye when he left and, you know, is lamenting that he's no longer in the hole. And so it strikes me that he might be, this might be him kicking back against the life that he's found outside and really telling a shadow that he's he's rejecting the shadow's love. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, I mean, it's with all the ambiguity and stuff, I think that's totally fair. I mean, that's the general sense I get of it for sure. Uh, definitely kicking back against this this newfound, uh, you know, freedom or uh, and, and, and it's interesting, too. You know, the a person's own shadow really is the only thing that, you know, at the end of the day you have control over. And now that he's got control over other things. You know, he even describes the shadow as something that he has no control over. The shadow is control over him. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, could also be a reference to the the inability to change the past and, and perhaps the irreconcilable um, pain that one would feel from having done things in the past and believing that shapes your future. Yes. If he sees a shadow and, you know, the shadow cast in the light that he himself couldn't look into, but, you know, through his shadow learned to to love him in spite of that um you know he's now taking the ultimate tact which is to attack the past itself and uh try and free himself from from that gallow and that shackle you know a, an overactive uh sense of self-loathing or, or self-punishment that may result from someone who had a really twisted upbringing and got you know lived in our penal system yeah, I think that this is right on theme with that. Yeah. Um, then he peeled his shadow off in strips. He peeled his shadow off in strips. Then he kneeled his shadow on some steps and cried, what have I done? This is uh, weirdly probably the most violent part of the song. Um, just this, this 
peeling, you know, shreds of yourself off or, you know, peeling shreds of, of something that belongs to you and tearing it from you. I don't know that this is much more than just some visual sort of imagery of this sort of inner conflict. You know, he, he yeah, I... immediately regrets this decision, it would seem. Yeah, no immediate remorse. What has he done? And I, yeah, I with the peeling, it's it's very striking, but I'm not sure what specifically we're supposed to take from that. It's it's the... very possible that this is just him fully making the split or the divorce from his shadow. Yeah, and it could take some time. You have to you have to peel it away. The the uh, famous words of Shrek echo in my mind that you know an ogre is like an onion, and when I saw that movie, I realized that it's not just ogres; it's it's people too. Oh. And so this could be, yeah. No, it took me about ten times through to really get that. But um, yeah, people also are a lot like onions; they'll make you cry. And through the transitive property, we can also deduce that uh, people are like ogres. So we get to the chorus. Yeah, the sun it shined. Oh, the sun it shined. I say love is blind. And is it any wonder? Very weird phrasing. I don't uh, know at this point that I have a lot more to say about this chorus stuff. Other than there's a couple things you can sort of infer based on just the setting and, and what we've talked about so far. Um, you know, love is blind, you know, maybe when he's in the hole and, uh, you know, he doesn't see his shadow. There's, there's kind of some blindness relation there or, you know, being out in the sun and, and being blinded by it. Either way, this is a character that has not experienced a lot of love. That, that's really all I could think of for that line. And then, is it any wonder? I don't really know what that's in reference to other than perhaps, you know, is it any wonder that this guy's kind of fucked up? Is it any wonder that he's, you know, not to spoil anything, but that he might do some things to get back into the, you know, place where he was? Uh, maybe he's already done them in the song. Maybe the peeling his shadow off in strips, being violent kind of imagery is symbolic of him um, heading into town. We know he brought a knife with him, um, but just very, very ambiguous stuff here. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, love being blind here. I'm going to get my, my biblical shot into this one too, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very Christian to love everybody, uh, at least New Testament wise, you know, it's, it's the hate the sinner or, (laughs) Hate the sinner, not the sin. No, hate the sin, not the sinner, um, which is, you know, a, a request, an ask, or a demand, depending on how seriously you take it, to love everybody regardless of what they've done. And so in that, you are purposely blinding yourself to things that would otherwise turn someone away from actually loving a person who has done these things. And, um, you know, is it any wonder, it kind of feels like a call to to realize that to to think that you know who are we to say that we deserve love um and maybe that's always i'm taking this a little too far but it it feels like a call to um 
realize that the love we give ourselves and each other is not free of taint, that, um, that all love has to be in some ways blind to things that would otherwise, you know, um, push us away from actually loving that person. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone and it doesn't exist. And so it's, it's kind of taking it to an extreme here where, you know, you have a guy like Jack Henry Abbott, who also in my reading sounded like a real asshole. Um, oh, for sure. Total D bag. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Apparently taunted the wife of, uh, his victim, the, the waiter, um, while in the courtroom and, uh, it, it sounded like a real bad guy, but, um, and, and accepting you know, the fact that, you know, that might be the effects of some kind of psychosis. I think it's widely believed he was psychotic. Um, so may oh, not yeah. have had a lot of control over that. Yep. But this, this feels kind of like a, call to love a call to realize that love in all cases is blind and so why not here maybe it's a an apology for norman mailer it's it's kind of forgiving him in a way yeah which he shouldn't be man's very guilty well yeah to an extent i mean i don't it's it's tough to pass judgment on that kind of thing but i i do think that um that reading is really interesting to me and and would be a more sort of earnest um, opinionated version of cave than we see a whole lot, but, uh, bears out to me. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, verse four. Yeah. Kind of wrapping it up here. Um, not really. There's a lot of song left to go, but, uh, the last verse that, that does something different is kind of a send off a conclusion for Nick. And so Jack and his damned shadow is gone. And though each one of us are wont to duly mourn, Yes, and though each one of us are wont to duly mourn, tis done in brighter corners now. Yeah, Jack's black shadow is gone. And the first thing that sticks out here, right? Uh, Jack and his shadow is gone. So sort of combining them back into one person. Um, yeah. They've been separate individuals since the uh, former uh, was let out into the sun. Um, but they're both gone now. Um, you know, Jack is not uh, in the hole at this point, uh, it would seem, because he wasn't gone when he was there. So something's happened to Jack in his shadow. If you want to take it down Jack Henry Abbott Lane, he, uh, as I'd mentioned earlier, he did hang himself in his cell. So if if we're following that through line, it does seem that the murder happened, you know, somewhere in verse three, you know, when he stole into town, when he, when he, when he tore his shadow to shreds. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you make of these lines about mourning? Yeah, we're, we're want to duly mourn. I think that this character in the song is far more sympathetic than the real Jack Henry. And so this is where I kind of like to take a slight departure, mm. uh, more the idea of a man incarcerated and, and torn up and, you know, unable to love when he, when he reaches out um, after prison and then, you know, is, goes on some kind of, you know, rampage to get thrown back in. Um, the best I can get from this is that, the again, it's an ask to be a little bit more self-reflective um, and understanding in our, in our lives daily, in everything that we love, a, a more, you know, understanding approach to what love actually is 
and to bring that light in and, and understand in the brighter corners while we're mourning what it is we're actually mourning and and how to use that yeah i could definitely see that i think um the use of though we each though each of us want to mourn i also took you know tis and its uh, as the aforementioned mourning here going back to sort of your idea of throwing the first stone you know though we each want to mourn we all kind of have this you know, shadow now sort of, you know, haunting us, whether that's, shadow's been kind of good and bad at times, but regardless of what its agency and its, uh, you know, intention is in the rest of the song, you know, it's something we all have, and I wonder if, then this is a, I mean, we've both been doing some uh, acrobatic uh, stretches in this song so far, as we, as we, as we are, want to duly do uh we could read this as the fact that this you know incarcerative state is so huge and profitable and big and uh people don't seem to have a problem with it it makes me think maybe like our shadows are growing by allowing this shit to continue to happen a little longer yeah now that i like that it's a something i would not defend in court but it is an idea uh, for a very vague vague verse and a vague song very vague song and and rest assured i will not take you to court over this (laughs) thank you and the rest of the song is is a lot of repetition of this the sun it shines uh is it any wonder love is blind sun shines a little stronger love is blind a little stronger done in brighter corners sun it shines um i think the only new bit of of lyrical matter that shows itself is probably three stanzas down uh and who can blame our bloody blunders which comes yeah love is blind and who can blame our bloody blunders andrew take this one. Oh, i just think this is for me one of the strongest cases to look at this song uh under the lens of of uh jack henry abbott because the love is blind thing you, you did point this out earlier I think, um, especially with the line that follows, who can blame our bloody blunders, this feels like he's talking directly to Norman Mailer to me. Yeah. W- yep. Whether it's, uh, whether he's being ironic or, or uh, sarcastic uh, remains to be seen, but um, I kind of, uh, as, as, as goofy of a line as it is, it does feel kind of like, you know, Nick has a certain stance and this kind of goes along with it. Yeah. And it's, it's either an earnest approach or like you said, kind of a a tongue in cheek to, to say that. And earnestly, it could just be a really who can blame you for, you know, showing love to this person who kind of felt like they deserved it or, you know, everyone deserves it. So who can fault you for doing that? Um, you know, I I also thought of it in terms of Jack himself. Who can blame him? The upbringing, the incar, the lifelong incarceration, yes. all of this stuff leading to what he's done repeatedly, which ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, are could be described as a series of bloody blunders. <laughs> um, but the answer to who can blame, unless you are real strong in the, you know some sort of religious tradition where you can separate very distinctly the sin and the sinner. Uh, 
lots of people can blame these bloody blunders on on the person who did them yeah so. like prison owners and prosecutors and <laughs> police <laughs> right but also yeah just but, the, the general populace you know there is such a stigma around uh, incarceration and it's uh it's uh kind of kind of a bunch of bullshit if you ask me yeah definitely a uh, an anti-prison sort of uh stance a rare political kind of thing at this time for nick uh though I doubt he really was thinking about this song in that way. It seems to have kind of seeped out of him. Um, we have my favorite line delivery of the whole song here, which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's double-tracked. <laughs> He's saying yeah in one ear, giving himself space to say yeah in the other ear, and then comes back with yeah, this call and response, as if it's someone in his shadow you know singing to each other i just i fucking love the delivery of that uh just very simple uh little thing they spent time to do that so i love that yeah no it's those little details that really give the music so much personality no i I, the double tracking i didn't realize there was so much double tracking and uh the cave echoes on these albums until i really started you know digging in with this podcast and listening and it's just used so well on these first three albums that every time it pops up it it really is a highlight definitely yeah whether it's uh you know backing background vocals from his other uh compatriots in the band or just him it's it's very fun and then the song just kind of finally dissolves um into that descending motif that we talked about but it's very fast and frenetic the down 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 it just kind of keeps keeps rolling down until the end of the song um you know, it's descending. Maybe that has something to do with going back in the hole. I don't know. It just feels very intentional yeah. that that's being used constantly. Whereas it's just kind of an add-on to the song. It's not even really part of the structure of the song. It just kind of pops in from time to time. Well, it keeps a constant dissension, a constant mood of, of going down. Um, a down we go. And I think that I think that that's probably very intentional. Now that you say that, I hadn't thought about it before, but it's a constant downward spiral for this guy. Even after he gets out, you have this, you know, bright crescendo, you know, the sun has shined and it gets very light. And then immediately we're, we're drawn back into this kind of um, whirling mess. And then that that step down really breaks through over and over and over again until the end. Yeah. For next time, you should be listening to the sixth song from this album the raucous the rollicking hard on for love what a song title mm-hmm. sean where can they find us online well andrew at uh, oh i was about to give your mailing address um as I'm always be on the news if you do that <laughs> and i'll take you back to court <laughs> listeners if you want to give us any kind of feedback, have your own thoughts on the song, especially this song, what? Do, here's a question for you. What do you think the shadow represents? Write us and tell us. Use your email to write us at todayslessonpod at gmail.com. Uh, use Twitter to communicate a tweet to us at todayslessonpod. And you can throw us some coin if you feel so inclined at patreon.com slash todayslesson.
Sean, did you finish talking? I did, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I had to get up really quick. Um, <laughs> until next time. Ah, I got cayenne in my eye. Down.